Hello and welcome to Ooh Wee U, a Doctor Who podcast. I know what you're thinking. Another one? That's right. We're here. And I say we're here because I'm joined by Simon. Hello. And Jordan. Alonzi. And I'm Alex. And together we make up the weird noise that plays in the opening title sequence <laughs> of a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> I'm definitely a wee and you're both oos, right? I, I, I can Like I can a new wee and a new. Yeah, yeah I, I trust you. Well, the, the point... The point is very much that you you don't get the oo without the wee oo. So that's it. That is true. It's three sounds, and funnily enough, and coincidentally enough, we're going to be talking about three episodes of Doctor Who today. Realistically, we'd love to spend the time dedicating, uh, you know, a lot of time for each episode. But who has the time to do that? <laughs> I wish we did. It's not like we have a machine that travels in space and time. Oh no, we don't. We're just part of the opening credits theme tune. <laughs> we're not that we, high up in the um in the, the hierarchy of of staff. We're gonna stand in front of a green screen and explain everything that happened. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit of context before we jump in. Because I feel like we've I mean, from our perspective, we've kind of dabbled in this a few times before. This never really kind of got off the ground, so to speak. But we're here now, and we're here recording after the three glorious Saturdays of Doctor Who that we have just had, um, because Russell T. Davis has returned as the showrunner of Doctor Who, and we have just celebrated the show's 60th anniversary with three specials, which saw the return of David Tennant, and Catherine Tate. David Tennant as the 14th Doctor, and Catherine Tate, of course, as the fan-favourite companion Donna Noble. So I thought we'd all convene together before we go on our adventure in time and space on this podcast to debrief three hour-long specials of Doctor Who to mark the 60th anniversary special. First question that I wanted to ask, at least, is to the both of you, which one was your favourite? Jordan? Well, difficult. I I would say that my gut's telling me Wild Blue Yonder is my favourite. I, th- I, think, I think the giggle is, like, the emotional favourite. I think, like, had the most heart-in-mouth moments. But I think Wild Blue Yonder was the, like, uh, we are properly back kind of episode. And it was also the first first ever five star review I've given in Empire magazine. So it's a it's a special one for me for that as well. I just think it's everything everything I love about Doctor Who's in that episode. Simon. So my head is also saying Wobbly Yonder, only because it's just pure it's it's the it's the biggest corridor who has ever seen. It's great. But it's a very big corridor. <laughs> it's a very big corridor. I think I'm still a little bit in love with the Star Beast though. I think that really it's it's the reintroduction of big event who again uh, I know that we had kind of that with Power of the Doctor year before but it's nice, you know. It's good, wholesome, it's a silly adventure. It's got proper roots in lore. 
it's great. I, I'm a big fan of it. What about you, Alex? What's your favorite? <laughs> what about me? Yeah, no, I think I have to agree with Simon. Like, if <laughs> so, if we're going off like kind of which one I've gone back to the most, I know obviously the, from, from when we're recording it now, there hasn't been much time since the giggle has aired, so I've not had much chance to revisit that. But I've watched the Star Beast so many times because I think it just elicits that response. Like Simon was saying, it's kind of it's that big event episode where, you know, all the the stakes are quite high and it's quite big and bombastic and kind of everything that you want in an, in a big a big old episode of Doctor Who. It's also the only episode that's got a meep in it. True. It does. Not not a meep, the meep. I do apologize. I've missed both. Yes. And Jordan, not yep. just the meep. meep, the beep of all meeps. The beepiest meep. The, the, be- the beepiest meep that ever did weep? Oh. I mean, it does mm. kind of cry. There's that little bit in the shed when it, when the meep's like, oh, will you be my friend? Oh, yeah, Which and then gets poked in the eyeball. heart before it became the evilest little fucker that ever fucked. Fairy Hitler. For- oh, oh no. Well, just you wait till the boss hears about that. <laughs> oh no, not the cryptic boss. Although actually, you know, because this is very much like Doctor Who in complete lack of chronological order, we still don't actually know who the boss is. I I was I was so sure that it was like the easiest setup swing catch for it to be the toy maker in episode three. Mm. And then Episode three comes around, and they're like, "Okay, when's the toy maker going to reference having sent out the meat?" And then, no, this yeah. is well, the one who waits. Maybe not even the one who waits. What I would say to you, Jordan, is if you had watched the commentary of the Star Beast, you would know that when that moment happened, David Tennant and Phil Collinson were talking about it, and David Tennant asked if Phil Collinson knew who the boss is now, and he was like, I know who he is now. So, yeah. It might be a couple of series down the line. We're, we're thinking, think. yeah, probably a Shooty Gatwa problem. <laughs> for well, sure. Shooty Gatwa's going to need some problems because we got a whole clean bill of health mentally and physically by the time we got to the end of these. Yeah. Like, Shooty's, Shooty's going to need to get some problems and get them quick. Because at oh, the yeah. moment, it's looking like the next series of Doctor Who's just going to be shooty living it up in the club, rehabilitated, <laughs> not a worry in the world. And 14, I mean, 14 <laughs> surviving, and 15 is thriving. Literally that. Like, the whole next series, no enemies, just vibes, the whole thing. <laughs> it's just shooty going to different planets, finding a club, and then maybe doing some regrettable dance moves whilst wearing things that <laughs> none of the three of us would ever dare try to wear. But he will inevitably oh God, yeah. make look glorious. You know, you, you, about the um, the kind of that. You make a very fair point that weirdly we've never really known, especially in New Who specifically, never really known the Doctor without the old trauma. Mm. So it's very interesting that we're going to be going into into the next into the christmas special and the the next series it was kind of very fresh and kind of bottom line new leaf kind of deal i think i think with um bad wolf productions et, et al calling this upcoming series season one i think it's like the after watching the giggle i do feel like i get it now i understand this is 
whole new beast, a whole new star beast. It's feeling very kind of like, yeah, like you say, we've, we've taken, (laughs) uh, yeah, we've, we've, we've chilled chilled out the doctor. We found out a place where he's, where they're happy, they're recovered, that they've gotten over this trauma and now we're back. We're back. We're doing Saturday nights and we're going to go to, go to the club. We're going to go to hang out with an orphan, mysterious orphan. That's where you find them. There's no, <laughs> they've got no doorsteps to drop orphans on these days. You say that. You say that, and this will probably date the thing of time. You know, I think today while we're recording this, they're dropping mysterious hooded figures dropping off a baby in the church on Ruby Road. So, yes, who knows? Well, there you go. the The conspiracy is confirmed. Well, actually. <laughs> Having having already not not eleven minutes into this recording been called out by Alex for not watching the commentary <laughs> on the Starbies, which I did I did watch. Oh, you did. You just hadn't and recalled that piece of information. Just hadn't recalled that piece of information, but a piece of information that I have recalled as we're talking about the Doctor going into a new series completely unburdened is that Russell T Davis mentioned whilst talking about. The new title sequence, which is bloody gorgeous. Oh yeah, uh, it is. He he mentioned that the TARDIS jumping through these like cosmic sort of like vortex cloud things. Mm. He said that that is actually like a relevant plot thing. For, yes, like, a and big like thing later in the series because the time vortex. Yeah, the TARDIS like when it's when it's going through the vortex in like the opening bit of the the sequence it's it kind of is like sparking yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's so interesting because well I, I had half thought right if we will we'll stick with the, the the opening sequence because it is absolutely beautiful it is so so amazing um Murray um, gold score for it can we can we also yes. just appreciate the the return of the king yeah I really loved Sagan Akinola's work on Doctor Who, but I mean, Murray Gold, man. Can I say something without being ostracized immediately? Oh no. Oh no, no. what's he gonna say? <laughs> <laughs> um when I first heard the, the, the theme for the sixtieth, I did think it sounds a bit like a man chasing an orchestra that's run run away down a hill. <laughs> because of the like the <laughs> and like it just sounds like every instrument like murray goldman can i please have every instrument you name it i want it there's probably a kazoo in there somewhere it's just probably is there's there's it's it's a lot and like it's grown on me i enjoy it but when when they had the concert for the 60th um bbc radio when they did the and now the big announcement i thought oh okay great let's listen and I heard it and thought, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's, um, well, it's a bit much. It's a little bit much. But given how much the 60th specials were all in all, I think it's very fitting. Like, in a good way. I think it's just chaos. I I, I think it's good chaos. If it is such a thing good exists. chaos. I think good chaos exists. Yeah, sure. Of course, except for in the Jordan Peele film Nope, when we find out exactly what a bad miracle is, and it's oh god, big, yeah, yeah, big big space alien rain and blood on everyone. 
which is uh, admittedly a bit of a, a, a change of pace and tone for this conversation. <laughs> but, talking of changes of pace and tone, the one other thing on the on the new new Murray Gold score is that the end credits we finally get the return of the middle eight. We get, I the, like middle we eight. get the lovely we get the lovely yes. I'm not going to do the rest of that because A, copyright, B, offensive <laughs> to the ears of all three of the listeners that we'll have for this. <laughs> the, um, whenever, uh, whenever the 16th Doctor's um, opening credits are announced, I think it should just be a cappella. I think it should be, <laughs> it should be Jordan just doing, doing the theme tune. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I, I was missold on this podcast because I thought that we would start every episode and I, listeners, here's the yeah. inside baseball hit. I was fully ready to get out the fan orchestra. I thought the three of us were gonna. I, I was like, Alex is gonna be on the, and then Simon would come in and did it, and then yeah. I'd come through right through the middle with the, and ah, oh, could have, could have been glorious, guys. Look, this is new. This is fresh. This is where we are. We're doing the same thing as Doctor Who, and we're, we're like newly, heading into we're newly military territory. Tri-generated. We're tri- yeah. newly tri-generated. Yeah, beat that, Russell. We're that. we're we're throwing this ball around on the top of this tower. We call this podcast. And I am in my wife room. His wife And as we um. As we work through it, you know, we can add things, we can do new things, for sure. I am totally down for that. We Listen, this, this podcast is going to be like The Giggle. It's going to have 20 different plot threads going on at the exact same time. You're yeah. going to have to go purely on emotion alone as to how you feel about it, because trying to dissect the structure and form is impossible. Impossible. But, yeah, but everyone will be so giddy by the end of it. You just forget anything that didn't make sense to you. Yeah, like, we just need to keep bringing the energy. It's all, it's all, it's all about the journey, guys. It's all about yeah. the journey. <laughs> and halfway, <laughs> one of us is gonna beat a puppet to death by bashing it into a wall in front of its babies. That's definitely you. <laughs> it yeah, is the redhead. You, so you, stri- you strike me as the puppet basher. I'll be honest. <laughs> the, well, <laughs> I have been accused <laughs> in the past. <laughs> <laughs> that was the original original working title for, uh, for the, the toy maker's return. <laughs> you will be oh, bashing my puppets, yeah. Oh god! You know how we were talking about good chaos? This is bad chaos. <laughs> I, see, I thought I thought the whole it is gavining and all of that. I thought that was just Neil Patrick Harris just being Neil Patrick Harris. But it's actually, <laughs> The script for that episode is written like that. Oh, really? Like, which must yes. have been an absolute nightmare as an actor to read that script and be like, hang on a minute, wait. I literally have never watched an episode of Doctor Who in my life. Yeah. I've never I, I... to read broken Germlish, German English, and then also just arrive at some point in the script where you're describing how all the Doctor's companions have died, <laughs> and you're there like, oh, Clara, she was killed by a bird? <laughs> the way that the way that Neil Patrick Harris reads that line is exactly the way that anybody that didn't know what Doctor He was would read that line. It was a, it was a pure expression of a bird. Yeah, it, it, he wasn't acting in that moment at all. I mean, he wasn't acting for the whole thing. Yeah, was he was just only, having a great time. 
the only way to banish Neil Patrick Harris is to play catch with him until he drops the ball and then he will collapse and be sealed in a box and entombed in salt. <laughs> exhumed in the box set of how, how i met your mother oh no he's he's stuck in the final season to be fair neil think... neil they're gonna do an awful entire series in one day neil stop get out of there the only more evil ending for the toy maker would have been having to watch the last series of how i met your mother <laughs> <laughs> like, no no i'll go back to the under universe i'll go back to the under universe <laughs> Even Jason Siegel saw the iceberg and would only do things in from a video screen. Like, come on. My favourite line of his where he's like, I have fallen in love with your universe, apart from that TV show on, on an America called How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> I was I was enjoying the How I Met Your Mother up until series five, and then it all got a bit ridiculous. I'm I'm honestly wondering why they didn't cast you as the time maker at this point. Oh well, you know, I I have as many shaky accents, if not more. And we will return to them as as this podcast continues. <laughs> Every episode, it'll be a new one. It'll be a new. Oh god, yeah. Let's let's nip that one in the bud very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I know. We probably yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could veer into a far right podcast, but you know, I think no, I don't think we want to do that. Talking no. of the far right, though. Hey. hey! Just to move the conversation on a bit, um, very excited about um the level of of different representation in the specials mm. that we've been seeing. Yes, it is making all the right people incredibly annoyed. Oh yeah, it's definitely the. Re- it feels like Russell T Davis et al going. Okay, I have seen what this world like it's the same guy who's going to these award ceremonies and just making these speeches about how people who disagree with him can go to hell quite frankly like it's i'm enjoying this devil may care attitude well i just i like the fact that he russell t davis is such a like socially conscious writer or at least he's become such a socially conscious writer since last doctor who outing that like in the first episode of this trio of specials, he introduces Shirley Ann Bingham, and there was the whole thing about her crossing her legs and everyone online going yes. absolutely nuts about it. And then in the third episode that had already been shot and filmed and recorded and scripted, there is a the bit the bit where Kate Lethbridge Stewart's armband's turned off and she's just howling all of her um frustrations with the world. She's like, I've seen you walk, I've seen you walk. I was just there, like he, he preemptively knew exactly what people were gonna do, and so he just wrote it into the show, so that we get to that third episode. It's like, oh, okay, cool. So fuck you guys. <laughs> the ultimate call out post. It was wonderful, but uh, it just goes to show how embarrassingly predictable these people are. That just is very true. Like clockwork, yeah. baby. It's and and you know, lest we forget, like Doctor Who. I mean, forgiving things such as the the toy maker, because we seem to have talked about the toy maker a fair bit already. The toy maker is based on a character that was a little bit of a racial stereotype that said a few dubious things back in the sixties. Doctor yeah. Who has a proud history of being very progressively minded, very liberal, very open, very sort of encouraging and 
accepting of diversity. Like it's it's not exactly ever been like prime UKIP bedtime viewing. Like it's the whole sort of animus of the show is we want to show you what the what the people can be at their very best. We want to solve problems with words and sonic screwdrivers that can now also be force fields that prevent bullets. Like it's it's baked into the show's DNA that it is a bleeding heart liberal utopia dressed up as science fiction. So the fact that there are some really stubborn people out there on the other end of the political spectrum that are like, oh, I really like my Doctor Who, but I just wish they'd start making all this bloody woke nonsense because I think the Daleks <laughs> are actually all right, you know? Uh, I, I think, <laughs> you know, that maybe the message should have come through by now. <laughs> yeah, it never will, though, ever. Speaking, though, of the new Sonic Screwdriver, what do we think? Because in the Star Beast, it did some handy dandy new things that were very kind of, you know, generally only like, you know, opens doors, scans things, you know, uh, struggles with wood. But it is very good at resonating concrete. <laughs> oh, yes. Very, it it did very handy for that. I think so. Watching the Moffat era, I feel like any complaint about the sonic screwdriver being way too convenient should go back and watch series five through i'm gonna say about nine or maybe less so in the capaldi era but certainly the matt smith era that thing is basically the most resolvable that has ever been like it is incredibly convenient so i have no qualms with new features that the thing has never done before like it is absolutely fine with me i'm not saying that as any like as any critic of the Moffat area, I thought there's some fun stuff in there, but yeah, let's let's not pretend that it's not been a very silly, over the top thing for what is meant to be a screwdriver. Talking of all the things that the new Sonic screwdriver does. We haven't even seen what the latest iteration can do, but yes, we do true. know it would be a real good Sky Remote in a pinch. So maybe those big screen panels in the TARDIS are just so that the Doctor can get iPlayer up whenever he needs it. Exactly. There you go. He's He wants to see how um, he's going to get out of the next big scrape. Just fast forward yeah, a bit. Yeah, exactly. He's he's gonna he's gonna be there watching the Christmas special in advance. Be like, oh, that's who Ruby Sunday is. Or maybe after each episode, there'll be a second episode released where it's him watching the visual commentary for the episode, <laughs> so that he can figure out what the big idea is. And maybe maybe it'll maybe that'll be it. Maybe it's just a, a Russian doll of. <laughs> doctors watching doctors on screens. Maybe the episode with uh, Jonathan Groff is actually an episode where the doctor's watching, I don't know, something with him in some period drama. And he's like, you know what? I like the look of this. So I'm going to go check out the set. And it's not actually a mystery. It's just him going to see his good friend Jonathan Groff. I mean, that's the one written by Kate Heron and friend, right? So that I wouldn't put it past them. So that'll be the one where Loki turns up, right? Right. Right. <laughs> the, Disney, the Disney crossover potential. 
It's oh, there. God. Oh, the no. door is open. And the... Oh, no. Oh, no. We thought the Disney money was unconditional. It's only unconditional until the TARDIS has Mickey ears. <laughs> and instead of... It just goes... <laughs> they have the uh, TARDIS doing the Tinkerbell thing over the castle. Oh no, that's actually a good idea. Oh man, no, they'll they'll retheme the TARDIS for each series to like tie in with the latest Disney film, so you get like <laughs> you get the Toy Story Five TARDIS. That <laughs> would be great. Nice decal. The Lightning McQueen TARDIS with cars forward and that happens. <laughs> okay, they'll make it so that the Chameleon Circuit actually works again. So. Yeah, it comes to Pascal Tardis. It'll just be like Casa Madrigal one season. <laughs> there are no original ideas anymore. I have, in the last few minutes, seen a video which is the Disney Plus advert for Doctor Who, and guess what the Tardis does right at the end? Does it actually? It goes. Whoa! It does. For the love wow. of God, <laughs> nothing is I new. Not, this I is. <laughs> But actually, could you just mention the Casa Madrigal? And it's just a thing that's in my brain, so I can't get it out of my brain. Okay, yeah. Do you know that there is a legitimate fan theory that exists? That it that is a TARDIS. Car- that, well, no, specifically, that is it Carlos, the little kid? Yes. In, uh, he's got the like big, massive zoo, essentially, through his door. Mm. Ah. So he could, he could be a Time Lord. He could be. <laughs> the, first, the first of the Time Lords. <laughs> <laughs> He's the timeless child. He's the timeless child. Oh no. Top of pin in it. We've done it. Having having just uh, touched on the timeless child of it all, one thing that I would definitely want to say, just because this conversation is literally us all just going, here's a thing about Dr. Who that I want to say. Yeah. One thing that I love and that I've sort of, without planning to in advance, found myself writing about quite a lot while I've been reviewing these new episodes. Is it's it's fascinating how these anniversary specials, like obviously big celebration of Doctor Who, resetting everything for Shooty Gatwa, but like Russell T. Davis is like he's he's properly using it as like a way of talking to the last few years of Doctor Who and making sense of some things that maybe didn't make sense before. I mean, yeah. admittedly, like by the time you get to the end of it all, he's added some new things in that might not make crystal clear sense immediately. But, like, he's dealing with the flux in the timeless child. He's dealing with the idea that, especially in Wild Blue Yonder, the idea of the Doctor doesn't know who he is anymore. The Doctor is running away from a reckoning with the events of the flux. Like, he's turning all of that, like, law-heavy exposition where Jodie Whittaker would just be stood there getting sort of exposition spieled in, in her face. And he's, like, turning it into just these, like, little character moments where... David Tennant is or 14 is like kicking the walls of the spaceship because he's so frustrated or he's doing one of his classic like yowls of pain because he's so lost and doesn't know what to do without his sense of self because it's been completely eradicated by the timeless child by the flux and all of that so it's 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 interesting that Russell T. Davis didn't just go, anyway, so it's 2008 again and we're all having a good time. He's actually specifically gone, 15 years has happened, and I'm going to talk about that. It feels like Russell T. Davis has retired the last 60 years of The Doctor as we know it with six simple words. 
Don't you think he looks tired? You think she looks tired? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Incredible. That's. I'm gonna have to standing ovation that. (laughs) (laughs) I see. When you said that, I was trying to figure out whether it fit into six words or not, and it doesn't. So it wasn't what you were thinking. But I was thinking the line in across all three episodes that I think like just is such a neat way of just going. Anyway, on to the next stuff is when the toy maker is having the card game with the doctor and says, I think one of the coolest lines in Doctor Who history, which is, I made a jigsaw out of your history. Did you like it? Oh, that's good. Because literally in like one line, it's this idea of like, oh, okay, so every crazy canon thing that's happened that didn't make sense or interconnect with other canon things that have happened, it's because our buddy celestial toy maker but we don't call him celestial anymore because celestial doesn't mean now what it used to mean then like we can just literally be there like yeah it was just this cosmic elemental force fucking about for a bit anyway put it back in his box and off we go back into this artist i've just thought of something which would probably legitimize those theories of the toy maker being the person responsible for playing with canon um you know that bit in Wild Blue Yonder where they go back and change history by calling gravity Mavity? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as they invoked the toy maker back in the universe, he just went back and changed canon as he saw fit. Yeah. And the thing that I like about that idea of like the toy maker just making all these like impossibilities possible is that if used well, then the toy maker like the rules of play and that domain being open. That could be a, a perfect explanation for why by, gen- by generation was able to happen for 14 and 15, but it could be a thing that can only happen then and never happen again. Now, I know that like the commentary on the episodes has said, and I think it was in a quite jokey tone that every Doctor by generated, because they talked about Sylvester McCoy turning up in a more drawer and stuff like that. But I think that the idea that because the the toy maker's domain was still open, an impossible thing, a myth, because they say that by generations a myth. Yeah. It was able to happen there and then, which is why you get Shooty and Tenants Doctors together. But then when the toy maker's out of play and that's all sealed up again, it's a really easy way to be like, okay, we put that literally back in the box. That can't happen again on we go 60 more years of Doctor Who where you cry every time the Doctor dies because he's actually, like, dying in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I think, well, I think 14 does say something like, oh, the rules of play are still, you know, we still have a few seconds left of that window being open, and that's when 15 gets his prize. Which also comes with my favourite, I think, sound effect of the three episodes, which <laughs> the actual high striker, ding! Yeah, the high striker, ding. And also preceded by what I think is the best line of all three. Yeah, absolutely. You get a prize, honey. And this is mine. And this is mine. <laughs> can we? Oh. Can we just because because we're doing all of this out of order anyway? Like, just like jump into it. Anyway. Like, <laughs> we're doing shooty, rehab out of order. Shooty, yeah, we're doing rehab out of order. But like, shooty Gatwick is like, I can't remember the last time a new doctor came into the show. Either when I was watching the classics as a as a kid with my uncle on video or in the new era growing up with it, but, like, so instantly just, like, oh, okay, this just works. Like, this is just, like, it was meant to be. Because Shooty Gatwick comes in, and there's no, like, 
there's no sort of oh give me a minute to catch my breath or like oh everything's a bit strange and i need to find you know my sense of place or anything yeah like, he just arrives fully formed takes control of the situation forgives himself for everything that's happened gives himself a hug is in his wife run saving the galaxy playing catch and then twatting the tardis with a mallet to make two tardises it's great and the new TARDIS has a jukebox in it. So he just, he was like, I'm going to need my tunes while I'm traveling across the cosmos. I hope, I, I sincerely hope that the jukebox is like Shooty's version of Capaldi's guitar. Like, <laughs> yes. Just, just find Shooty occasionally. Like, Shooty's doctor doesn't know really what he wants to say at the end of an episode or at the start of an episode or something. And just like set the entire tone by like, what's, what's he listening to? Or is it like the TARDIS's way of communicating with the doctor? Like, is the TARDIS just going to, like, stick on a tune and it just, like... It, that is it, such a cool idea. Like, because um... they made a big point out of the fact that Shooty has got the TARDIS. And yes. they made a big point out of saying that there is a thing that will happen in the next run of episodes that will let everybody know that this is the same old TARDIS. Yeah. So, like, I quite like the idea that, like... The TARDIS has come with a built-in jukebox. I think the I think the uh, jukebox is going to be partly they're going to say, "Look how much money we have now. We can play actual music." The only times in the past we've had the TARDIS actually playing actual music that you can listen to in the real world are when you had like Amy and Rory hanging out in the TARDIS uh, playing darts and whatnot. And yes, I think there was one with Ten and Rose. Where they were listening to Ian Jury and the Blockhead? Yes. Wait, I think I know which one you mean. Answers on a postcard. But does this does this mean that we're gonna get for the next series to come? They're just gonna be really playing a lot of the Wish soundtrack just to this. We made this film, and by God, people are gonna see it one way or another. <laughs> Oh, I quite like the I, I like the idea that well I don't like the idea I abhor the idea of the TARDIS just like occasionally just having ads like, <laughs> like premium so occasionally the TARDIS will and it'll be built into it as like a little quirk and they'll be like oh the old girl what's she like and it's literally just the TARDIS occasionally going I'm coming to Disney Plus in thirty days <laughs> and then it's an advert for the greatest show in the galaxy and then the Doctor bashes the jukebox to death. Going, not again <laughs> fuck this fuck so, off i feel i feel like i feel like we should stress that disney's involvement with the new doctor who is purely a distribution deal yes which it's oh, yeah, yeah. they don't yeah. actually have any creative input and if the tardis does have mickey mouse's in the next series and if the doctor wears exclusively spirit jerseys for the whole of his second series that is purely coincidence and has nothing to do with anything Disney. One, one thing that I thought would actually be quite good to, to discuss, perhaps, you know, because we are the three of us, people that have a critical mind for film and television, as well as the ability to talk absolute garbage for half an hour plus. Thank you very much. Like, of course, of course. Across the across the like the three episodes, like I, I I've just been wondering because I've been sort of having the conversation in my head a lot because bless her, my fiance, soon to be wife Lucy, has her first ever experience with Doctor Who has been these specials, and she's been absolutely loving it, which is great, and she cried at the giggle, but she also very fairly said, 
is it always like this because the tone bounces around constantly and I've got no idea whether I'm about to be terrified or whether I'm going to be like, hang on, what the fuck was that? A Spice mm. Girls needle drop. So like, what what do you what do you feel like has like come back with these new specials like in terms of like the tone and the way that it's been written because I do feel like it just it just feels different again and it doesn't even feel like it's just like RTD 2.0 either like tonally something feels new again but I can't quite put my finger on exactly what feels different this time um I feel like if we drop enough references and quotes, then we'll be accepted by by Whovians. By the super fans. You know, the people <laughs> Wait, who are, are we meant to be the super fans? I, I feel like I feel like I'm a, a fan. I don't know. Um <laughs> But yeah, anyway. Uh that's a good question. I think I think there are elements where especially watching The Star Beast, where I was thinking, this feels this feels like the old days a little bit but not not necessarily like oh you know we're back kind of but i think it's just that sense of wonder and that sense of like you say and and, and with lucy um lucy's insight into it it does feel a bit kind of like i have no idea where this is going and i kind of love that and i feel like in the past with showrunners that have come in the last 10 years or so I feel like I've maybe sometimes gone, I have no idea where this is going and not had that same sense of, I can't wait to find out where. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like for me, like the, the thing with the giggle where everything, the stakes are built up higher and higher and higher. And like the beginning of it builds up like the universe level threat. The second act of it is building up like the doctor's like personal peril. And then like the third act of it to like, undercut all of that by just turning it into a game of catch i feel like that is like one of those things where you're like okay only doctor who would do that yeah like this is how you know doctor who's never gonna become like another mcu or like insert name of big like takes itself quite seriously franchise here like there will always be time for stupid time lord antics i mean i think for me you know, these specials have really been like greeting an old friend, right? In the fact that like you kind of <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Because you you don't see I mean, if we're gonna like if I'm gonna keep it attached to that kind of metaphor, it's like you don't see somebody for so long. Somebody who, you know, you you knew very well and you were very fond of, um, and they've been gone for a while and you've not kind of interacted with them for a while. And then you come back to them and <clears throat> you, they're still the same person, but they have been through life away from you. If you know what I mean. Mm. And that obviously you recognize them and you see them as the person that they used to be, but they're also filled with their new experiences and their new uh, kind of personality as well, which you kind of get to know, which I feel like these specials were a mix of. And especially from like a, a Russell T Davis perspective, because he's come back to Doctor Who after, you know, writing some of, the most critically acclaimed, successful TV dramas 
of the 21st century, mm. with, to be honest. Um, mm. And I feel like he will have personally changed a lot as a writer and as a human being. So, and and I know for a f- like, I don't know Russell T. Davis personally, obviously, but I know for a fact that like he wouldn't want he wouldn't have wanted to come back and do this if he didn't feel like he could offer something new and fresh to it. And I, I kind of understand the you know it kind of feels a, a bit Journey's End recycling with the giggle and kind of you know David Tennant style Doctor getting to live his happily ever after with um you know companion but yeah i don't know it it's like i said it's the mix between the familiar and the unfamiliar which yeah i I think i think that's a really nice way of putting it because especially i think the the reason why the more i think about it and rewatch it the wild beyond is like the episode that sticks out most to me is that like that whole episode is kind of about that combination of the familiar and the unfamiliar the kind of recognition of the time that's passed but also the idea that the things that you remember about who someone was are kind of your gateway to being able to figure out who they are now so like the whole setup with the not things and with the doctor and donna the whole point of it i i guess is that the not things are, you know, they look like David Tennant and Catherine Tate. They look like the Doctor and Donna. They speak like the Doctor and Donna for the most, or, or for for large portions of it. Like they mimic that double act as we have known it. But then like the thing that is the sort of the tell or the giveaway is the ways that the actual Doctor and Donna of now 14 and Donna they know each other on a deeper level that you can't just like reference away or joke away. Like there's a bone deep understanding that like Donna knows that the doctor is in pain and she knows that he's, as she says in the giggle, you've been staggering. And the, the whole thing is that in wild blue yonder, you kind of get that commentary on the fact that, you can you can sort of dress up like the doctor and you can say all the cool wibbly wobbly timey wimey things and have the sonic and everything but without a sense of like heart and without something to say that are your own words and your own expression you don't it's not real and i i think that kind of idea taps into what you're saying alex about this familiarity and unfamiliarity, the idea of like reconvening with an old friend where so much of it slips back into what it used to be. And Tennant and Tate across these episodes are just like incredible all the way through comedy, drama, a lot of it. But but also like it's just different because time does change you. And if anyone knows about time changing you, it would probably be a time lord yeah. that has lived for thousands of years. Billions. <laughs> Yeah, well, billions, maybe not literally, who knows? Um, I think him saying that in a very throwaway way made me wonder if we're just going to drop this entire like fascination and wonder and keep your ears peeled on what he says kind of thing. Um, at least I hope so, because I'm tired of having to keep like a notepad of, okay, so the doctor said they were a billion years old this time. This time they said they were a thousand and two. <laughs> like, no, had enough. Um, and I think... Actually, that point kind of brings me to kind of how I feel about these three specials. And I think how I, or at least how I hope 
the writing and the performance goes from here. I think what Russell T. Davis in his first era did so well, and I think the episodes that people loved in particular kind of reflect this, are episodes where you get to see the Doctor and his companions or assistants or whatever whatever word um, Donna doesn't object to when uh, Mel brings it up her unit HQ. Um is that is when you get to see them as people, as fallible, as um, people who make mistakes. Like with Midnight, for instance, the fact that the Doctor was kind of going into something thinking that there was a close encounter that he could control and it ended up being something that almost killed him. Or like all of human nature, where he is quite literally a human. Yeah. Um, I think... With Wild Blue Yonder, I think what really works for it is like the constant thinking something like obviously something's not quite right there. And you know, that's in there from from the beginning of the introduction of the not things with the arms being too long. And then once the arms fixed, it's the jaw, you know. Um and I think even right at the very end, when the doctor has to make the choice of who's the right donor, all of that stuff is what's so good. You can throw a million planet eating viruses out into the ether, but it needs to resonate with people. And I think that's what as that's what made it as that's what made Doctor Who a hit when it came back in the first place was that Davis has a way of connecting these massively out there concepts of a basically immortal being who can go anywhere at any time and do anything to save the day. Why don't we make it so that sometimes he loses, sometimes he makes mistakes, sometimes he doesn't know his friends or the people he says are his best friends? Like, and yeah, like, and time and distance and everything else. Like, I think watching like Smith's era and Capaldi's era and Whitaker's era as well, like, so much of that detachment is so enticing and exciting. And like, I just wish they lent into that more so I could love it more. And now I feel like we've got this back a little bit and I'm kind of fascinated to see where a clean, clear, refreshed, revitalized doctor goes when it comes to duty. And I think this all kind of comes to why I think that, and you know, personal opinion, it's all subjective people. If you don't agree, that's fine. We're all <laughs> adults. No, this is why I, I, and everything that we've just said is like, why I believe that these episodes are such a wonderful celebration of the show's 60th anniversary, because I don't know about you guys, but I've seen various people kind of in their opinion say like, Oh, well, didn't this really is a celebration of Dr. Who it's not a celebration of Dr. Who, like the 50th anniversary was. And obviously that's like completely different, different writer, of course. And, you know, I, I don't know w- whether the 50th anniversary is more cinematic and kind of, you know, it's that multi-doctor story kind of thing, but what is an anniversary and a celebration of a show if not looking back and taking stock of everything that has come before and then at the same time turning your head to the future and kind of salivating over the endless possibilities of it. Yeah, and also what is... Doctor Who, especially modern Doctor Who, doing in an anniversary celebration, if not infuriating everyone and anyone 
that dares to watch it for an hour. Very true. Just what I is do. Doctor Who without infuriating people these days, if we're honest? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what is what is anything that has a fan base if it's not making half of that fan base rabid with anger? Um, yeah. Mm. But, but I do I, I think that I think that you, you sort of like cobbed on to like a really good point there with because if you if you want to, you could kind of frame it as like the Star Beast is pure 2008 doctor who in terms of the like the spunkiness and like the sci-fi spectacle of it all and it it kind of it reaches a little bit further back by bringing in the meep who's obviously from like a a comic book from 1979 and but then like it it sort of like begins to tease the future or the direction that the show's going by introducing rose and doing so in like a really quite poignant and plot specific way and then while blue yonder if 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 star beast is the show as it was when we were all watching it in 2008 while blue yonder is kind of the exploration of the wilderness years that have happened since for a lot of people that stopped watching when tenant left or when smith left even but like that reckoning with like okay well who are we now take away the sonic screwdriver take away the tardis like it's just the doctor what is it about this on like a molecular level that works like can two people or four people but they're two lots of two of the same people just talking like be compelling tv answer emphatically yes and then the giggle which is arguably a whole series of doctor who in one hour because you could make any single plot thread from that an entire two or three episodes but like the giggle then is like it's it's a really elegant passing of the torch to the future of the show like i don't think and correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think we've ever spent so much time with a new doctor in the episode that the regeneration happens like we usually get that like wild kind of the tardis is out of control yoink off off to insert Christmas special here or next series here. Whereas like here, there's a very purposeful choice that for the first time ever, the the kind of the symbol for millions of fans of what Doctor Who is, which is David Tennant for a lot of people, the symbol of what Doctor Who is in our sort of heads is literally used to like split itself apart and go this is the future and you literally get the future represented in shooty gatwa giving the past a hug and saying it's okay i know a lot's happened i got this let's go and have a new adventure and like it's such a it's such a nice lovely like you just don't get these like happy endings in big prestige tv stuff anymore or like big franchisey things like it's so rare that you get something that is just like hey, the future's coming and it's going to be wonderful and exciting and it's okay to be sad that the past thing isn't there anymore or in the same way, but you can say goodbye to it gracefully. Like, it doesn't mean that it's dead. It's still there. You can still enjoy it. But like, hey, this is what the future looks like. If you want to get off the bus, you can go to a vineyard in France or a villa and sit eating vegan curry. But like, if you want to, you can hop back in the TARDIS and we'll go take you around the universe again. I think that's a really nice like pattern across the three episodes of, like you were saying, like look back and then looking at where we are and then looking forwards. And I've realised that I've 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 done another monologue, haven't I? I've I've been monologuing. 
But it, no, it is a very good summation of of why, like I said, it is just such a wonderful celebration of the show, and <clears throat> it goes beyond. And I never doubted Russell for a second when it came to this. It goes beyond. I mean, we live in a time of such egregious, like fan service cameo uh, for nothing bullshit that you know it, it, it is wonderful to see that. Russell as a writer can be like, we can celebrate the show, but we can celebrate it in a way that is, um, you know, actually kind of fulfilling and emotional uh, rather than just going, oh, look, here's the 11th Doctor and he's doing something and here's um, Chris Freckleston back for through some sort of miracle. Uh, by the way, I saw the video of him at a oh, convention. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah. yeah, that was bad. <laughs> well, no, I mean, yeah, it, he didn't mince his words. Um but but yeah, I I just think yeah, it, there's just it's just wonderful. I I've really really enjoyed these episodes, and yeah, on top of that, I am um, have never been more excited to uh, be waiting for new Doctor Who um, and Shooty's era, which is just I just can imagine is going to be amazing. I I really can't wait. I think we're in for a really exciting ride and apparently one that involves goblins to begin with. Yes. Oh my gosh. The goblin song. The goblin song. The goblin song. And it's currently number two in the UK iTunes charts, beaten only by BTS, which is something I did not think I would say in the year of our Lord 2023 or the year of our Time Lord 2023. When um, is um when when do Christmas number one things well, get announced? When like is the that these days? Friday to Christmas. Oh, is it Fridays now? Look, this is so next Friday. There's time. There's I am time. showing There's my time. age here because back in my day, <laughs> <laughs> you had to char- pop to the HMV and buy the single. <laughs> <laughs> well, the charts were always on a Sunday, so I was like, I'm not oh, sure because okay. that's Christmas Eve. So to be fair, that was a big there was a big thing because they changed it to a Friday not too long ago. Okay. Well, I, say not so long ago. I think it was like maybe a couple of years ago. Okay. But it was quite a big. It was a big thing. Like a lot of people still think of it being a Sunday afternoon chart countdown. Yeah, yeah. And oh, here we go. Twenty fifteen. So I am nearly ten years. Yeah, like, like off I say, the two, year, two years ago. <laughs> two, two, eight years ago. Two years ago. Two times five. I yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I'm. Not ashamed to say that I am now at an age where if I pay, atten- pay attention to the charts, it's a bit weird. I don't think we're going to get any more Neris, you know. I'm sad about this. Well, okay, so, th- so this is something... It, so this is part of UWU law because the initial plan was to kind of work through Russell T. Davis's era of Doctor Who. And you, um, Simon, have a bit of a... Crush? A bit Obsession. of a narrative crush, yes, I just... on uh, Neris. Before before the sixtieth was unveiled, and before we knew the full inner workings of Russell T Davis's insane mind, uh, wonderful mind, but still, I was convinced that Neris was the key to all of it. And in a way, in a way, look, I was right. You got 
you got the mention and that's all you needed. I got more than mention. Such such is your infatuation with Neris. Quite frankly, Neris should have a restraining order on you at this point. <laughs> <laughs> when, I was, when I was fortunate enough to get a screener for the Star Beast a few days before it first aired, my entire experience of that was overshadowed by... <laughs> the voice in my head that was desperate to tell you that Neris was mentioned within the first five minutes. I was. And all I could think about for the rest of the episode was how happy you were going to be. Oh my God. And I said to you guys, a little bit of inside baseball here for the two and a half people that are listening to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when, when I watched it, I put a message in our group chat and I said, I was like, there is a thing that happens in this episode that is going to make you guys lose your shit. <laughs> the, the, whilst it was airing live, as soon as that happened, I got a message. I, like, yeah. Neris. <laughs> Neris. Just the moment it happened, literally the moment he mentioned it in the back of that taxi, I was like, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I it's may have perfect. I may have gotten up, run around the house with my uh, t-shirt <laughs> over my head, <laughs> like um, like a middle-aged man cheering on a football team. Does Neris have a last name? No, don't think so. No, oh. I think she's just Neris. Because we could have called him Doctor Temple Noble Mot Neris. Okay, hang a minute. I'm on Tardis Wiki now. No, just Neris. Oh, just Neris. Yeah, that's fair. She's not just Neris to me. That's all I'm saying. If we if we do go back and if, if at any point we consider maybe going over past stories, I I can fill people in on Neris. On yeah, well we Neris we are, <laughs> we were gonna call it Neris Watch. Yeah. Now everyone's like, can you please wrap up because I really don't want you to talk anymore about Neris. But, no. <laughs> um, People are saying, I'm hearing, I'm actually hearing now, yeah, they're saying more Neris. <laughs> more Neris. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers from the um, from outside of your window. Like, <laughs> That's actually from the untempered schism that lives <laughs> yes, in my stereo. We, we found them. We found the one fan of Neris. The one other fan of Neris. <laughs> <laughs> And it is, is in fact Neris. It's and she's here now. <laughs> <laughs> here is Neris. Oh God, a man, a man can dream. Well, now that um, now that Donna's timeline is safe to go back to, maybe we'll find out what happened. What happened to Neris? What what do you, what's your Neris? head cannon on that? What do you think happened to Neris? Uh, well, we know that whatever it was was her fault. It was her fault, which we're not surprised about. Yeah, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll formulate something in time for the Christmas special chat. <laughs> Started a rival Doctor Who podcast called Never Get Done. <laughs> <laughs> it will just be the middle eight. It'll be the da, 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 da. yeah. I have a, I have a, I have a just, just because, dear Lord, we need to get away from Neris. I have, yeah. I have a, a genuine like. I think a question that we should we should answer before the even though the Christmas special will have long since aired by the time this sees the light of day, a question that I think we should all just like have a little fun answer to before we go, just just for funsies. 
with with Shooty Gatwa's introduction at Christmas and then the first series coming next year. Yes. What is your like one prediction, like one like a villain that you hope turns up or a period in time or a place in space? Like what is your one like I th- I think this will happen or I would love it if this happened. A musical episode. Oh, yes. Ooh, yes. That um, has to be a thing, surely. Every every series that. that runs long enough gets a musical episode. It's like the yeah, on a long enough timeline, they write a, they write one where everyone sings. I would like Jinx Monsoon's character to secretly be Pating. Pitting. No, it's like pitting against what? Pitting. One of my one of my dream hopes once is that the next nine episodes, well, let's say ten episodes, because including next year's Christmas special starring Nicola Coughlin, there are no recurring monsters. Oh, I love okay. that idea too. I want, I want. If we're if we're going clean slate, I want clean, clean slate. But you know, oh, but it's the Daleks of Russell's trump card, though. Always. If in True. doubt, whack a Dalek out. Whack a Dalek out. Yeah. So I, I, as much as I would <laughs> love to believe, as much as I would love to believe, <laughs> I just know for a fact we're going to see those little tin boys sometime soon. Yeah. But maybe not till like the end of. Maybe Christmas special next year. That would be interesting. Anyway, no, my real, my real thing. Uh, obviously, I'm very, very much looking forward. Like all jokes aside, to Jinx Monsoon and their character, and yeah, very excited to see what that entails. Whether they are connected to Doctor Who lore or if they are something new entirely. I think that my big hope is because we got the toy maker in the giggle. And the toy maker is more of a character of fantasy than of science fiction. I'm hoping that we get like whatever the next like big bad thing will be. I hope it's like a god type thing. Like you know how you have like Satan's pit, like mm. like coming face to face with the actual devil. Like imagine if the imagine if the doctor comes face to face with death, like the personification of death. Like, I hope we get like a, a a a an enemy that is like something that isn't a big enemy because it's a Doctor Who big enemy. It's a big enemy because it's like an idea that's like bigger than the show itself. Which I admit is a is quite a hard like elevator pitch for a hope for the next series. But you know, you got to aim high. It's a new yeah. era. Anything can happen. From what some some fans have been theorizing, based on. Well, if they can bring stuff from the comics, then they can bring stuff from things like Big Finish. There was one figure that kind of fits with what the toy maker was saying they might be scared of, which could be quite cool. Rowan Atkinson's Doctor. Rowan Atkinson's Doctor. It's the uh, sofa of, what is it? Surprisingly comfortable sofa. Yeah. <laughs> the Absorbalof. It's the Absorbalof, yeah. The second coming of the Absorbalof. <laughs> I absorb the toy maker. I could see you for that, Simon. What you just did. <laughs> yeah, I heard you. I heard it. Okay, there we go. I'll get yep. you, and I'll make it look like a bloody accident. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get that reference there for any big fans of Cat in the Hut. 
That is wonderful. <laughs> it can it can absorb any anything. Well, thank you very <laughs> much for listening. <laughs> yeah, the first and final episode of the Ooh U podcast. We made it. Wait, we actually got one in I, the can. Maybe what if you if I say ooh, one of you says <laughs> say we. we. <laughs> <laughs> Right, guys, thank you very much for listening to what is the first ever episode of the Ooh U podcast, or as Jordan would prefer, the Ooh podcast. That was beautiful. Took it to church, church on Ruby Road. Yeah, that's where we will be landing next on Christmas Day, but probably not actually Christmas Day. But you will see us there talking about Shooting at Wars first episode where we'll also see the introduction of Millie Gibson as Ruby Sunday, which is all very exciting. And yes, I've been Alex. Jordan and Simon have been Jordan and Simon. We'll be going to church and goblin. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand. Because of goblins. I just don't understand. We'll be going to church and goblin. (laughs) Goblin? Goblin what? Goblin, Goblin, Goblin song. Oh, jeez. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> no.